The word of the Lord for this Reformation Day from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning with verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus. Amen. As we continue our exploring the believe umbrella that we're following over these uh, 30 weeks of this part of the year, and as we now have engaged upon a, uh, a sub-series, a, a, a sermon series entitled Identity Crisis, I found it interesting that in the second verse of that great hymn that we just sang, it said this, with might of ours cannot be done, soon were our loss effected. But for us fights the valiant one whom God himself elected. Ask ye, who is this? And of course we know the answer. Jesus Christ it is. Who is this? You know, the answer to all of our identity troubles ultimately find their way back to the answer of Jesus. Last week, we discovered in the question, who am I? We were reminded that as a baptized and redeemed child of God, we have a brand new identity in Christ. And now today, we get the opportunity to think about who are we, namely, the church. And so to help us think about this, I thought it would be appropriate for us to uh, first of all be reminded of what it is that we speak about in the Apostles' Creed, where we say these words, I believe in the holy Christian church. So exactly what is that? Well, let's take a a quick three-question quiz, shall we? You up for that? But don't worry, as I learned going with the teachers to the conference this last Thursday and Friday, The type of quiz I'm offering is actually the lowest level of of quiz. And uh, maybe it's your favorite as a result, but um, it's not essay, it's not short answer, it's multiple choice. So, with that being said, I think you're going to do fine. So, question number one, the church is A, a building, B, a congregation, C, a denomination, or D, all believers in Christ. So give me your answer, A, B, C, or D, on the count of three. One, two, three. Wow. You know what? That is correct. Although the other answers all apply as well, in the context of the Holy Christian Church, that's precisely what we're talking about. All believers in Christ, regardless of of faith or denomination, In fact, even living or dead. Question number two. The Holy Christian Church is A, visible, B, invisible. One, two, three. 
<laughs> Not quite as sure on that one. You sound like the eighth graders in confirmation class when they came to that question on the test. Well, the answer is that since God is the only one who can see in the heart and know who truly is a believer in Christ, the, the Holy Christian Church is, in fact, invisible from our perspective. What does that mean? It means there may be people who are, in fact, members of the visible church who truly don't believe in Jesus as their Savior. And likewise, there may be somebody who, for whatever reason, is not connected to any church whatsoever. Maybe they were hurt by one. Or maybe they had fallen away in some ways, or maybe they've never been taken to church. Maybe nobody's ever brought them but they, by God's grace, may still, in fact, be a true believer in Jesus. The Holy Christian Church is, in fact, invisible. And now, question number three. Which of the following images does the Bible use to describe the church? A, a vineyard. B, a holy temple made of living stones. C, the body of Christ. And D, the bride of Christ. One, two, three. Ah, you were listening to the text that was shared. It was kind of a trick question because all of them are used in scripture. Each of those images is used to describe the church. But as 1 Corinthians 12, this image of the church being the body of Christ is one that we can explore this morning. This image is one that um, I think tries to capture that very essence. Notice the, the picture of Jesus with his arms outstretched, but yet within his body are, are the faces of individuals, of people, which very well could be you and me. By virtue of the fact that you have come to faith in Christ, that you have been baptized, that you have been washed in his blood, that you have been redeemed and made holy in his name and are part of Jesus, you have been brought into this thing called the church, the body of Christ. And in so doing, God has a plan for you and the role that you would play in that church. And that brings us to the key idea, as we've been getting each week in our reading, those who are following along in the Believe book, there's always a key idea that kind of gathers our attention, and it says this, I believe the church is God's primary way to accomplish his purpose on earth. You know, it's not saying that God couldn't do it otherwise, because he certainly could. And in some cases has. God could directly intervene in history and make things happen. He could use other people, other organizations, and so forth. But as he has revealed in his word, it is through his chosen people, the church, that he has chosen to accomplish his purpose in this world. That's an incredible responsibility, but it's also an incredible honor for those of us who have been called into that church. But do you believe this? Do you believe 
that you have been called into the church and God has a specific plan and responsibility for you so that he might accomplish his will? Well, that's what we get to wrestle with today, isn't it? We get to ask ourselves that question, do I really believe this? And if so, how would my life be different? Unfortunately, the reason that we have to ask the question, who are we as the church, indicates that we haven't always gotten it right. And how true it is in this sinful, fallen world in an organization which is truly, in every respect, a social and human and political organization, even though at the same time it is a holy and chosen and set apart divine organization, yet we've not always gotten it right. And in the course of history, there have been often very tragic results of when the church has lost its identity and who it truly is, the body of Christ. Back in the 14 and 1500s, and for some time prior to that, the church had truly lost its identity. Instead of being the body of Christ, a place where God's people gathered to, first of all, be fed and nourished and equipped and strengthened by the unconditional grace of God in Christ Jesus, having forgiveness of their sins, so that they could then be empowered to go into the world and be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Instead, the church had truly become a place where people were being manipulated, where the, quote, grace of God was being offered to the people, but not for free, for a price. Whether it was the expectation of having to make satisfactions for their sins by doing so many good things to make up for the bad, or whether it was the outright sale of indulgences or the things that people thought would help them or their loved ones spend less time in this make-believe purgatory. The church was not who it was supposed to be. This day we call Reformation Sunday because it's the closest one to October 31st. We, um, well without also going into All Saints Day. The last Sunday in October, we traditionally uh, celebrate as uh, Reformation Day. We do get to be reminded of someone by the name of Martin Luther. Now, I hopefully you recognize that the Reformation was not successful because of Martin Luther's good looks. Would you agree with that? Can I hear a big amen from you Lutherans? Yeah, so for those of us who resemble Luther in any way, there is hope for us, I guess. But having said that, the reason the Reformation was, quote, successful was because it was God's doing. And yes, he chose to use people to do it. Martin Luther was, first of all, and foremost, as he would confess over and over again, a poor 
miserable sinner. This he had known from his upbringing and his encounter with the church and God's law. He had failed miserably to do what God commanded him to do, to live that life of perfect service and work and holiness. And so he tried everything to make himself right with God. But he couldn't do it. But by the power of the Holy Spirit and through the incredible truth of the scriptures, Luther became a free man. As Jesus said in our gospel lesson for today, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And it was through the scriptures and he studied of them, like Psalm 46 and like Romans chapter 3, where it was revealed to Luther once again the truth that God's righteousness is not obtained through the law, though we try. But the true righteousness of God is received by faith in Jesus Christ. Who is the only one who has obtained the perfect righteousness. Who has lived the perfect life. And who made the ultimate and perfect once and for all sacrifice for all people. And it was coming to this knowledge and the Holy Spirit convicting him and bringing him to that faith that started that which we call the Reformation. That God chose to use an individual who was stricken in conscience and then set free by his grace to lead a cause which would literally change the world. And the truth of the word became prevalent again. Now, I'm not sure whether there are any modern-day Martin Luthers in our midst this morning or whether there needs to be. I don't know whether the church is at a point where we need to be reformed and the world changed again. Unfortunately, we see signs that there is great trouble even within the church when it seems to lose its identity And no longer sees Christ as its head. No longer looks to the scriptures as being the sole source and norm for our life and practice. But whether or not we're called to change the world in such a way, I do know this. That each and every one of us is called by God to play a role. To participate in his body. I don't know if there was a better example of that kind of thing other than what happened last Friday night with the fish fry. I know many of you were either part of that or got to enjoy it. My wife and I got to enjoy it by going through the, uh, the drive through lane, our first time doing that. And it didn't take long for us as we pulled up to realize how much work and how many people were involved in making that fish fry, quote, successful. The planning didn't start Friday morning, by the way. Nor Thursday, nor Wednesday, nor even Monday of last week. Something tells me the planning had taken place for weeks and months, perhaps even all the way back to last year. But the amount of work only those of you who were involved could really appreciate. 
But as we drove up, we realized there had to be people that got the parking lot ready. There had to be people who directed us in the right place, to the right lane. There were people who took our order and kindly took our money, by the way. And then there were those who were putting our order on little sticky notes on our side view mirror. And then there were people running in and out of the buildings, bringing those meals to us. There was somebody making sure that we got everything that we needed to. And that's not to mention all the people on the inside that had been doing all of the preparation, washing of the dishes before the meal, those who sat inside to be servers and to be cooks and to clean the tables and to clean up afterwards. Like I said... What a huge undertaking. And yet, because there was this cooperation, everyone knew their part, everyone did their job. If even one person was was lacking or didn't do the function that they were called to do, the whole system suffered as a result. That's a microcosm of what God intends his church to be. And as wonderful as a meal that was, and as great a cause as that supported, that was really a routine type thing, providing a meal and a service for people. But if God can use that type of cooperation and that kind of interaction amongst his people in order to do that, think of what he is able to accomplish on even a far greater scale. Do you believe that the church is God's primary way of accomplishing his will on earth? And do you believe that you play a role in that? Well, if so, then how does that change how you live? What is your role? Do you truly believe that God has called you to a role and responsibility in the church? so that he can use you in accomplishing his purposes. And if you know what that role is, and maybe it is in the role of helping on a fish fry, or being a volunteer in the school, or maybe it's doing other projects with willing workers, or maybe Stephen Ministry, or whatever the case may be, wonderful. May God bless those efforts as you work in his church. But at the same time, are we always doing those tasks to the best and the utmost of our abilities? And are we always open to the Lord leading us perhaps in even more or deeper ways? For you see, that's what God wants, that we are always open. And there's always going to be things that stand in the way of us fulfilling those responsibilities or responding to those calls. And so as you have opportunity yet to to perhaps share those with us, whether it's what you are doing or what you would hope to do or the struggles, the obstacles, the things that get in your way, whether within your own life or from the church itself, we'd want to know that so that you can share, so that we as a church can continue to live out that which God calls us to do. For that is his plan. To use poor, miserable sinners but redeemed miserable sinners, redeemed and sanctified and holy and set apart sinners who have come together in this place and throughout the world to accomplish God's purpose and his plan. May it be so. In Jesus' name, amen. And now may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, Keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.